Welcome to ACME Talks and Live Events. You are listening to a podcast from the Australian Centre for the Moving Image. This talk has been recorded in front of a live studio audience. This podcast is an audio recording of a live event. It may reference visual material that cannot be represented in this recording. It may also contain strong language and adult themes, which may not be suitable for younger audiences. And the opinions expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect those of ACME. Uh, well, thank you, Sean, and thank you for coming out. Um, yes, hopefully the, the program will be, you know, will be riveting enough that you won't need a toilet break. Um, so we'll, <laughs> we'll do our best anyway. But, um, but yes, it, it's kind of... It's, an interesting topic, I suppose, you know, queering the screen or, or gay representation on TV because it's, it's, I suppose, it's a relatively new phenomenon, you know, sort of, especially these days, um, you know, every second TV show seems to have a gay character in it, you know, for better or worse, and we'll kind of, you know, explore all of those um, things, you know, across the next um, hour or so, but... Um, but, yeah, so, and we're all taking slightly different um, perspectives and slightly different um, takes on it. Um, uh, some of us are being a bit more personal, some are sort of being a bit more academic. So it, it should be, a, you know, a, an interesting and fun grab bag of, of you know, um, ideas and images and clips and, and just sort of reactions as well, because I think a lot of us will be talking about how we reacted to, um, to, to seeing gay, gay characters on TV or, you know, sort of, and, and talk about their relevance and whether they are relevant, whether they're not relevant, whether we need more, whether we need less, you know, how that representation has changed over the past 40 years. Um, so here's hoping that, you know, you'll come out sort of entertained at least and maybe even, you know, sort of learn a, a thing or two as well. Um, so to start off with, I think we'll go throw straight to the, um, the only straight in the village, Catherine, <laughs> um, who's sort of taking a, you know, sort of, oh, you're, you're sort of diving back, and not just into the archives, but into your, um, your you, you know, your I'm, your, I'm putting your my memory. hands in my womb and I'm pulling <laughs> them all out. So we did discuss before the thought that perhaps I might be straight bashed tonight. We would throw around the idea of straight bashing, which we decided uh, was would be, if there was such a thing, a um, non-consensual makeover. I love so that. clearly it didn't happen. I made that up. It's the most brilliant thing that I've written since the article on the footy show. Um, yeah, because I, I wouldn't put you in that shade of lipstick. Just really? So the there we go. There's, there's going to be fighting, guys. There's going to be fighting. Um, I, firstly, I'd just like to say thank you very much for inviting me. It's always a real pleasure to come here and do work at Acme, and I do work at lots of places. Um, but this has got to be one of my favourite. I've had some incredibly moving and hilarious nights in this studio, so it's always... I just feel like I'm home back, so thanks very much for inviting me. Okay, now, here is my problem with the demonisation of porn. The all porn is all bad for all people all the time argument. Okay, go with me, people. I have a degree in cinema studies. I know what this is about. It's steeped in the assumption that there was no porn before the internet... The impact of all porn is only negative and the only thing ever to make a negative impact on our sexuality and it always and only makes a negative impact is porn. Crap. The things that I have had the most, that have had the most negative impacts on my sexuality and that of most people I know have been religion, Disney movies and commercial TV. <laughs> Most porn I've seen, and I'm not, and nor have I ever been a massive consumer of porn, I've found hilarious, entertaining, educational and or amusing. Even when it's not my cup of tea and occasionally confronting, it's been educational, 
making me more understanding of the diversity in sexual expression, opened me up and given me ideas to broaden my own pleasure and help me understand where my own boundaries lie. The mere fact that I've seen stuff in porn not only made me realise it existed, but let me know that it was mostly okay. And if not okay for me, okay for some people and other, some other people, and that's okay. I did a great radio session when I was filling in on 774 a few years back, and it was on the gender imbalance um, in commercial television. It was me, uh, my flatmate and gay husband, uh, Michael Lello from the Age newspaper, who was at the time writing for the Green Guide, Bridget Boson, who was at the time a broadcaster with Joy FM, and Simon Palomares, who's a comedian that you might know from um, Il Dago or Acropolis now. Okay, so um, it was two men, two women, two ethnics, two whiteys, two straights, two gays. We talked about gender representation in the media or lack thereof. But that also fed into the notion of ethnicity and sexuality diversity in the media. Simon said, apropos the, the lack of ethnics in TV, it's a bit like a second child. Now, I'm a second child, so my ears pricked up. And I think that most of us in the room are kind of second children. This is what he said. You open a family album. They're full of, of like a photo album. They're, they're chock full of pictures of the first child and a couple of snaps shoved in the back of the second child. The second child asks, why are there so many photos of the first time child? They can't help but think that they are less important because there's these huge images everywhere of this first child. And where are they? shoved in the back, just a couple of snaps. No matter what the parents say, the second child and all those who flick through the photo of them can't help but think that the first child is more important and better than the first. So queer TV has always seemed to me like the second child. I saw very few gay characters on the dream box as a child and I'd like to tell you about the ones I remember. I'm 43, I know, it's hard to believe, I use a cream. And I was, um, I was born in 1968. And the first gay character I saw on screen, I mean, I grew up in Catholic church, so I saw heaps of gays. Uh, <laughs> I just didn't realise that, you know, the necklaces, the fucking dresses. The, uh, but the first one I remember was from Soap. Now, Soap was this kind of crazy drama. It came out in 1977 and um, it was this mad family and one of the main characters was played by Billy Crystal and he played a character called Jody, who was gay. Now, um, I, that was my first memory of knowing what a gay guy was. Now, I didn't kind of think sex at that time. The idea of gay was like a pansy or a sissy. Billy Crystal was quite funny and quite manly and um, he had a relationship with a football player for the, for the whole series called Dennis. But what was really weird is that, that all of the plot lines basically revolved around his relationships with two women. Um, a woman called Carol who left him at the altar and then he moved in with a, um, a, a gay woman and they had a one night stand and, and she got pregnant. Um, so that was the best they could do. There was a lot of, you know, the Christian, the right wing didn't like it at all. So I'd just like to show a clip of um, one of my favourite clips of um, Billy Crystal um, as, as Jody in Soap. Thank you. Well, let's roll tape, please. Let's get it this time, huh? All right, now listen, trust me, everything's gonna be okay. All right, let's get it, DJ, huh, please? Thank you. Quiet, everybody. Rodney, under the milk, please. (laughs) 
Hello, I'm Mr. Peppy Flick. I used to be a Slappy Flick. Hold it. Wait, don't anyone move. What's the trouble now? I lost the contact. Wait, <laughs> I've got it. I just say. All right, steady. Why you Mr. Peppy Flick? Now you're gonna die. What? Oh, just what the cereal needed. Fruit. <laughs> Carol. <laughs> well, what a surprise. Uh, Dennis, what are you doing here? Joey, I've been wanting to talk to you, but you never return my phone calls. Get the hint. Look, I... Coffee, huh? How about a nice hot cup of coffee? <laughs> Jody. I can't let you just walk out of my life. Dennis, I'm marrying Carol. Jody, I've thought it over. I'll give up football. I'll come out. I'll do anything. I'll tell the world I'm gay. I think you just did. Uh, can we turn that off, please? Thank you. <laughs> Dennis, it's the way it is. I'm marrying Carol. But I thought if I give up football, I mean, we wouldn't have to sneak around anymore. Dennis, it won't make any difference. That's the way it is. We're finished. Finished? Finished. Finished. Sounds so final. <laughs> okay, Jody. I'm sorry, and I won't bother you again. Are you sure you want to go through with the wedding? Absolutely, you. Mm -hmm. This is very touching. Sick, but touching. Uh, fellas, uh, I'm sorry. Uh, let's get back to work, okay? Uh, Jody, is it really over between you and Dennis? Yeah. Then you don't mind if I give him a call, do you? Oh, those gays there where you least expect them. They could be in your cereal ad. Um, okay, second one that I remember was um, MASH, was Klinger. Um, and Klinger was, um, I, I probably don't have to explain who Klinger was. Klinger was a, 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 a Lebanese guy from Toledo who was trying to get out of the army by dressing as a woman. He was a straight guy who dressed as a woman um, and he was trying to get out on what was called a Section 8 discharge. Now, Section 8 refers to a category of discharge from the United States military where someone is judged mentally unfit for service. So being gay or acting in a slightly gay manner um, was considered uh, medically unfit. Um, in the 1950s, a Section 8 discharge was commonly given to a service member found guilty of sexual perversion. Um, as a form of undesirable discharge, it deprived the person so discharged of... Um, it, it, so the discharged person uh, didn't get a veteran's benefit. So, you know, just kind of puts in context, um, you know, what, you know, sexual perversion and, and our limited understanding of sexuality and gender. So let's have a look at Klinger. Ho! <laughs> Friend of foe. I am General Barker. 
How do I know you're not one of them with a clever makeup job? Corporal Klinger, isn't it? Right. Still trying to get out on a psycho, eh, Klinger? Well, I can tell you, it'll take a lot more than this. Then I'll just have to keep trying, Mary. Problems at the 4077, sir? Huh! Klinger! Who goes there? The man's naked! Oh, come on, Klinger, put on a dress or something. At least a slip. Thank you. Uh, Klinger, do you mind a little constructive criticism? No, sir. First of all, it's gorgeous. It's so easy to go overboard with one of those, but that's tasteful without being gaudy. Thank you, sir. Just one suggestion. You must wear a slip. With the sun behind you, I could see clear through to your shorts. Of course, and I've got so many slips in my tent. Thanks for the x-rays. Yes, sir. May I ask where you got that? Mail order catalog, sir. A white wedding gown? I'm entitled. I'm a virgin. Now that's tasteful without being gone. What's all the hoo-ha? You crazy? You wrecked a $39 dress. Your people will pay for this. I've had it with that clown Klinger. He's degraded all of us for the last time. Corporal Klinger reporting, sir. Please, sit down. Thank you. At ease. Okay, he's here. Let's have it. What's wrong with Klinger? Charge 3 states you have a non-com who's a transvestite. Well, I don't pry into a man's religion, sir. A transvestite wears dresses, Colonel. Oh, Klinger. Yes. Well, you see, Klinger is not your typical recruiting poster type. It might be of some comfort to you to know that he spends most of his time trying to get out of the army. Okay, that's that's. I must say he's very inventive about it. For uh, several weeks, Klinger was keeping pretty much to himself. Uh, Gorgeous old Klinger. Um, now, the next character I remember um, was, uh, you know, as a, a, a child growing up in the 1970s, this was the show that you wanted to... Um, kind of your parents to just kind of, my parents didn't really drink, but you kind of hoped that they got a bit um, benevolent, neglecty and let you stay up and watch a bit of, um, and it was Prisoner. And so I, I want to show a bit of The Freak. Um, and uh, she was the first person on screen that I can remember being, like she, she was a lesbian. And I can remember when I was young thinking that she was a really, ama Maggie Kirkpatrick was an amazing actor. And I remember saying, why, why will she never, you know, why does she never win the gold Logie? And mum said, you'll understand when you grow up. Um, so the first, now, um, she was, a, for those of you who um, can't remember or would like a bit more information, Joan the Freak Ferguson, played by Maggie Kirkpatrick, was, was a sadistic and corrupt lesbian prison officer known to the prisoners as the freak. She was infamous for the body searches she conducts using her trademark black leather gloves. And the first clip is, was called The Freak Lesbianing... Hannah Simpson. I didn't realise it was a verb, but anyway. Uh, uptight straight here. Okay, let's have a look at the freak. 
Why aren't you in the rec room, Simpson? Because I prefer my own company. I can understand that. Sometimes I like to be alone. But then there are times when it's quite nice to have someone else around. What are you doing and why did you close the door? Because I think you and I should be friends, Hannah. We're going to be seeing a lot of each other. Well, you can forget it. I'm not interested. But you will be. We'll come to an understanding, you and I. <laughs> Don't you dare, unless you want the governor to hear about this. That won't do you any good. <laughs> Latham's already in the pound for trying to say she was raped by an officer. Think of the extra charges you'd collect. I don't think the judge would be very impressed at all. Pity I'm off duty right now. To start getting to know each other right away. Oh, but there'll be other times. After your trial tomorrow, there'll be plenty of other times. And believe me, oh. Hannah, we're gonna be very good friends. It's like something out of an Italian horror movie. That's amazing. I've never seen this. It is, isn't it? It explains to me why I've got a bit of a penchant for leather uh, gloves. I just only realised when I was watching through. But um, so I, I thought that's what lesbians were like. Um, but they're not all like that. Um, just rage. Um, but there's a, there's a, there was a soft side to the freak too. You know, light and shade. So uh, let's have a look at the more romantic side of the freak. Note the slightly softer hair for the romantic bit. Audrey. Audrey. I, I couldn't get away any earlier. What you Packet of fags. Told you it was romantic. Got to do rounds with Officer Patterson. I'm so scared on my own. Well, I'll try and put back later. I feel safe when you're here. You are safe. <laughs> I never let anyone hurt you. Something. You leave it to me. 
I've talked to them. It'll be all right. No, don't. They've been calling me terrible names. I'm scared. Well, I'm not. Now, I'll look after you, Audrey. No one will hurt you. Audrey? Audrey? God, no! Audrey? Audrey! So did she? Did she get revenge on whoever killed Audrey? She did. She did. Awesome. Um, <laughs> but you, <laughs> you will see. You know, she she's a great actor. You know, there was acting. There was light and shade. There was <laughs> menacing romance. You know, so that was what basically was all I saw of lesbians on the telly until Home and Away. <laughs> I've always thought Home and Away needed lesbians, and let's face it, who hasn't? I wrote this um, around the time of the, of the famous Home and Away lesbian kissed. Even the Home and Away producers finally hopped on the lesbian bandwagon, if there is such a thing. We've got hot spunks, the beach, and contemporary social issues that focus, that focus groups indicate penetrate the straight Anglo-Saxon 16 to 35 demographic. But it appears the surf club and Alf Stewart saying flaming mongrel are no longer enough. <laughs> Viewers have become sophisticated. They want challenging plot lines and characters that reflect our social diversity. Sure, we could cast someone with a hair lip, an albino or a dwarf <laughs> as a love interest. Sorry, what? They're called people of short stature? Midget, whatever. <laughs> we could throw in a schizophrenic, a refugee or a black fella, but I'm after a win-win situation. And when I saw that billboard of the Veronica's as I Kissed a Girl played on the radio, it came to me. I bet it did. Put it down to global warming. It's not just hot in Summer Bay these days. It is wet and steamy. Policewoman Charlie Buckton and deckhand Joey Collins finally got it on. Note the non-gender-specific names and slightly bush professions. On Tuesday night, in the much-anticipated TV disappointment of the year, the girls passed in a totally I-am-so-straight-but-hopefully-this-will-turn-my-boyfriend-on kind of way. <laughs> Home and Away turned into homo-go-away as the snog was diluted from red-hot girl-on-girl action to a muted kiss due to some noisy, out-of-touch bigots. Since the lesbian plotline began two weeks ago on Bogans by the Sea, 100,000 people have turned off. Wow! Turned off. That must be the first time the words lesbian and turn off have ever occurred in the same sentence. And all we'd seen until Tuesday was lingering touches and intense stares. But that was good enough to get Christian groups kicking up. That noisy minority of no-gooders should read the Bible and leave us heathens to our debauchery. 10% of people are gay. Only 9% of people attend church on a regular basis. Gays win. I'd rather my... (laughs) I'd rather my kids watch lesbians on television than Christians. Get this. Some mothers contacted the network to say they didn't want their children exposed to same-sex relationships in a family show. Not fathers. Funny that. Some family groups don't mind lesbians. They just don't like them between 4pm and 8pm. Apparently it undermines family values. 
Try telling the gay parents down at my school that. But home and away plot line staples such as stalkers, serial killers, kidnaps and rapes are just fine. I'll put $100 on the seaside girl crush being filed conveniently under there was this one time at band camp and watch as the dollies run screaming back to heterosexuality. I think we should have a look at the home and away kiss. You didn't have to check up on me. After everything you've been through, you should see a doctor. I'm fine. Thanks anyway. It's been a traumatic day. You're probably still in shock. I'm not. Joey, you can't be alone right now. It's going to hit you really soon just how close you came. Charlie, please. Why didn't you tell me where you were going? Why did you just take off like that? If we hadn't have found you in time, you would have died. Yeah. So why? Because I thought I was doing the right thing. You were obviously having difficulty with me being there, and and I can't be around you anymore. It is too hard, Charlie. It's too confusing. I'm sorry if I gave you false signals. You gave me signals, Charlie. There was nothing false about them. You're wrong. I forgot. You were interested in Hugo. How did your date go? It's fine. Where are you going? I don't know. But thanks for stopping by. Why are you doing this? I mean, we can still be friends, can't we? Joey, I like men, okay? I have always liked men and I've never felt like this before. Felt like what before? That was it. <laughs> I was waiting for her to take out the black gloves. So. Or oh, the strap on. Oh, the strap on. I mean, yeah. anything. But yeah, that was it. Okay. So, um, this year's Logie gave the Hall of Fame award to Molly Meldrum. In 29 years of the awards, only one inductee uh, of the award has been given to a woman and never to someone openly GLBTIQ. Anyone who says television awards or jobs are given on merit has clearly never been exposed to the dearth of talent in our, on our screens and more likely unaware of their internalised bigotry. I believe that a social impact statement should be applied to everything that is of human endeavour, like in the same way that you apply an uh, environmental impact sta- state- statement, that it should be a social impact statement. So anything that should be done should be a 50% female, 10% uh, GLBTIQ, one in five suffering a mental illness, one in three to have parents from a non-English speaking background, 9% of uh, to attend church on a regular basis, 30% single, 40% renters. Because, my friends, television is believed by the unwashed masses and promoted by the middle-aged, middle-class, straight or straight-acting, God-fearing or pretending men with a disproportionate access to power, control, leisure, money and decision-making to mirror our society, our cultures and our values. 
Yes, I know it's gotten better, but no, I will not jump it down with gratitude. I will not be grateful for small changes. The truth is our screens continue to create a warped, dishonest reflection of real life. Images, characters and storylines on our screens erect and reinforce the cutter used to create the cookies and society feels obliged to shoehorn itself into. By and large, television continues to show not only the diverse society we live in, but a society that, that not only does not exist, but has never existed, except for in the imagination of most television executives' dead nanas. <laughs> when the screen attempts lifestyle diversity, it more often than not is unhelpful and unhealthy stereotypes or at the very most tokenism at its most token. What we have to ask ourselves is, who has a vested interest in not reflecting our society's authentic diversity on our screens? Not only why, but how we can kill them. Personally, <laughs> personally I blame George Pell and Pack to the Rafters. That's it. <laughs> Just really quickly, Catherine, I have to disagree with, with one thing you said, which is that Disney movies are bad for gay people because... Oh. Disney's Aladdin was a very important movie. That was kind of my sexual awakening. Wow. As a 10-year-old. <laughs> Did you get the hugs for Aladdin? <laughs> so much. I hope that so, wasn't the genie. So very much no. <laughs> he was a little bit out of my But Alistair, my how old are you? I'm 29. Okay. So I'm, I'm almost 15 years older than you. So sexual awakenings. So it's really good to hear that it stepped up a bit. And I know that Mulan is kind of quite a big role uh, for, for, for young women and stuff. But... Um, Generally, like we grew up on these, you know, Disney Snow television yeah. movies every Sunday night, and it was Mum, Dad, and the kids, and it was, you know, these great kind of To Kill a Mockingbird dads, and you know, and uh, like Little House on the Prairie mums mm. with aprons and stuff like that. So, but I, oh, I, you know, I don't know about really the themes or the subtext or anything like that. This is purely on like a purely sexual level. <laughs> oh, <wow. laughs> like, I, I feel funny in my pants, kind of. Yeah, yeah. Amazing, yeah. amazing to get turned on by cartoons. I don't know what Aladdin was about. I just know that Aladdin was really hot. So, <laughs> wow. so yeah, that's, that's that. Well, I've been put into my plates. Uh, you told me that you depressed me tonight, and so I knew how it felt. So, yeah, I, I feel, uh, you know, suitably oppressed. <laughs> Um, yeah, no, there was well, there was some interesting stuff that you um you, you pointed out there. There was um, I, yeah, I just I remember soap as you know, sort of, mm. you know, because I'm of a similar vintage mm. to yourself. So I, you know, I do remember soap. And I you remember, know, what was weird though was that it was all a bit weird. I only got growing up, I only got like fragments of it, and there was. There was Jody who was gay, but there was also a brother with, that had a ventriloquist doll. So I always, like, I mean, for a long time I confused gay men with um, ventriloquists. <laughs> There's a joke about hands up asses Indeed, somewhere, yeah, but, yeah, um, yeah. you know, it's, yeah. Yeah, because one of the other shows that I remember growing up um, as well was um, a Cop Shop. Um, I wasn't allowed to watch it like Prisoner because it was, you know, sort of on after, after mm. tea. And, um, and, you know, and I remember my grandmother sort of saying, oh, no, I don't watch Cop Shop, but homosexuals on that. Mm. And it was probably just one storyline in one, you know, in one mm. or two I weeks or whatever. Mm. No, but no. one's enough because the germs just spread. It's like a virus. <laughs> so you know, if you've got one character off spot, spot line, it's all gone horribly yeah, wrong. You never know when they're going to pop up again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's funny. I was watching the, those um, clips of Klinger, and I remember thinking, when I first saw his character, I never confused him with a gay man. Or anything. No, you know, you always like. It's interesting the way he plays it. Is that you just never. 
um, think that this is what a transvestite is or something. It's a, but it was an interesting, because I just thought in the notion of queer, yeah. that it was, it's like it's all right for Klinger to be straight and yeah. wear a dress. Yeah. But had he, you know, taken on the persona of a woman or been same-sex attracted, I don't think, you yeah. know, he would have been welcomed with, as, as tolerant as the 4077th was, yeah. it was, you know, it, it was queer in its own way. See, and on the other side of that as well, on the other side of the Atlantic, with the U- in the UK, around about that same time, you had Are You Being Served? Oh, yes. With Mr Humphreys. That would have been good tonight. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Um, who, was, who was so flamboyant and, and, you know, sort of and unspokenly gay, but everyone knew. And, but that was, and I remember my dad... Oh, I reckon sort of, Mrs Slocum was, you know, she liked the ladies. <laughs> she did like a wet pussy, so... No. <laughs> but, um, but, yeah, it was, I, I, you know, sort of, I remember my dad sort of, you know, sort of, Kind of po- you know imitating Mr. Humphreys that around free and sort of and thought it was a great <laughs> joke and you know and and that was but that again that was sort of like a, a you know that was the stereotype you know in the in the late seventies of, of a gay man on TV it was this you know effeminate you know well dressed man who who would make innuendos mm-hmm. you know and that, it, look it still exists to this day so I mean is it worse um, you know you know you know GLBTIQs not being represented or having stereotypical, you know, I mean, if there was a gun, of course you go, no, we want realistic ones. You know, mm. it's just like, you know, the disabled people are the same. You know, mm. my mate Stella and I talk about this all the time. It's Stella Young, you know, like, I just want, you know, I d- does every, you know, disabled character have to be brave mm. that we totally. see? You know, kind of <laughs> brave <laughs> or tragic. Can't we just have them be normal, like being a butcher, you know, totally. or... I mean, I was excited by seeing the freak to actually sort I of bet, see yeah, it. I could but, feel but, that. Yeah, yeah, no, the, the, <laughs> I the, the, it was like, me, but it was... No, because, I mean, everything we see these days is so sanitised, and I was so excited to see someone that was sexually charged and a little bit yes. kind of, you know, at least had a sense of, you know... It was... Passion or something. It was a very menacing show. Mm. I mean, Cop Shop had that same feel. Do you yeah. remember, like, like there's like, they're all smoke, and it was like, you know, it was cheap in studios and it was kind of cold and there's never, nothing happy really happens apart from on Cop Shop, there was Linda Steinem and her big bazookas. But um, <laughs> they were just these cheap kind of Crawford style, you know, mm. things. I mean, what I think the real crime with the prisoner was is that the women who were in it, apart from, I think, um, Val Lehman who played B, got no residuals whatsoever wow. from that. They just got paid on the day and that was it. Wow. Yes, yeah, so now they're remaking it. Are they? Yeah. The or they're, they're doing, yeah, they're doing, yeah. I think it's a, like a prequel or, or something like that. But, there's yeah. something. but in a modern way, like yeah. without that kind of, you know, sense of what made it great. You well, know, what's the, one of the things that made it great was women got jobs on television. Mm. Mm. You know, like I just, like wherever I look, you know, whether I open the newspaper or I turn on the telly or I turn on the radio, it's just like men, 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 straight men, straight men. I'm pretending I believe in straight middle-class middle-aged men with a disproportionate access to power, decision-making, money, leisure and control. And you just kind of go, I want, you know, it's not uncommon to sit through a movie. My boyfriend made me watch Star Wars the other day. I've never watched any of the Star Wars. And, you know, yeah, oh, there's Princess Leia. And, you know, mm. it, it's just, <laughs> and, and you, no one even notices it. You know, like you've got to I, I actually went to, um, it was one of the most bizarre nights I've ever had. It was um, a celebration of Prisoner with the original cast mm. at the old Melbourne jail. Yeah, they've got to do stuff and to make cash those girls. It was, it was, it was <laughs> crazy. And, uh, and uh, it was like, you know, three course dinner in the, Melbourne, in the old Melbourne jail with just a bunch of journalists and, and the cast there. And there was actually one point where um, they were talking about just 
how amazing it was that there was just, you know, that was a show that gave all of these women worth. And then after that, there was really nothing there again. There was nothing. I mean, where was... Show me another show where you could have women of all different shapes and sizes. They're like, you know, the only time now I see representations like that is in roller derby. You know, you go mm. along, you see all different shapes of bodies and looking. You don't see much age difference like mm. there was there. But I've been to one of those things. I went to a... God, was it 30-year <laughs> reunion, I think? Um, and I went along. Just They just invited me along. And um, somebody said, who did you play? Like they asked me who I played. <laughs> and I said, I was Doreen. <laughs> um, but that, i tell you who I met there, who gave me one of my best lines ever was Anne Phelan. Like, I knew quite a few of them. I know Kerry Armstrong quite well and Jane Clifton and quite a few of them. But Anne Phelan um, and I had a great old take. And they talk about, like, the, the makeup artists. They love the makeup artists. So many of these women had little kids and stuff and they were working and so they'd like race into makeup and they'd have to unpack their lives. They were having love affairs, breaking up, you know, kids getting in trouble, whatever. There's such an incredible bond between them all. Um, and Anne Phelan's great. She lives up in Romney now. And she called me. I gave her my number and she called me when she heard I was doing God is Bullshit. And she said, I've got a good one for you, Catherine. It's Annie Phelan here from Romsey. And I said, oh, how's it going? She said, oh, good. Cardinal George Pell is an anagram of pierced anal egg roll. <laughs> <laughs> so I have a lot to thank prisoner for. Oh, wow. Oh, gosh. All right, well, I think it's, um, yes, it's my turn now. Um, and I'm going to be sort of talking about, you know, sort of um, all gay men. And there are plenty of gay characters on TV in 2012, mostly when it comes to mainstream television. We have shows like Glee, we have Modern Family, we have, you know, sort of... Oh, so many other different shows. Even United States of Tara, you know, sort of recently. Um, um, Ugly Betty recently had, you know, sort of had openly gay characters. But what about Australian TV? Because, you know, and, and you've spoken a lot about, you know, sort of Prisoner and, and, um, and uh, you know, Tonight. But um, as far as gay male characters goes, there's a smattering of supporting characters. Um, you know, today we've got Offspring, we've got Winners and Losers. Um, All Saints, you know, sort of brought, you know, sort of a few years ago had, you know, a few... Um, gay characters. Miss Fisher's Murder Mysteries actually had a gay plotline a couple of weeks ago, which was um, which was quite interesting. Um, and it's also possibly got a lesbian doctor as well. I think Tammy McIntosh pulls out a lesbian doctor character for Miss Fisher's Murders again. Um, but look, it's kind of interesting that all of those shows, yes, they might be mainstream, but they're still kind of, you know, not that 4 to 7 p.m. time slot that Home and Away, you know, sort of inhabits as well. Um, until recently, when Neighbours acquired its first regular gay male character back in August in 2010. Um, it's a guy called Chris Pappas, who's of Greek origin, um, and he's played by um, James Mason. And he was actually nominated for our most popular, um, you know, sort of character on um, um, the Logies this year, which was interesting as well. Um, so that's kind of interesting... But only, it's only like four weeks ago that he actually had his first gay kiss on screen. Um, now, we will get to that a little later on. And, yes, it was just in the background of a party scene. Um, but it was, it, it's sort of significant because, you know, this, you know, sort of like Home and Away Neighbours is aimed very squarely at a, a 4 to 7 p.m. family time slot. Um, and it's kind of interesting that this is the first time that a male gay kiss has actually happened in that time slot. Um, and it, it just seems like a late breakthrough, you know, sort of especially, you know, since, you know, UK soaps like EastEnders and Coronation Street and, and, um, and all that sort of thing have had gay characters with major storylines for quite a few years. Um, 
you know, perhaps the producers of Neighbours were actually scared off by the outrage that the home and away girl on girl kiss created. Um, maybe, you know, as, as you sort of also say, the drug use and infidelity and teen pregnancy and, and alcohol abuse are all fine, but, you know, God forbid that, you know, two men should actually show and, you know, sort of that they have a love affair on, on TV. And it's, it's kind of disappointing because Australia was actually breaking ground, you know, sort of 40 years ago with Number 96. Mm. Um, now, Number 96 is actually just recently, you know, celebrating its, its 40th anniversary. It started in, in 1972 and it was groundbreaking for a number of reasons. Um, there was lots of nudity, thanks to Abigail. Um, and it's, it's sort of, its content was very adult-based. Um, and again, though, it was at a, at a later time slot. Um, and that was kind of interesting. And, and it was set in, a, in an apartment block called Number 96. Um, and this is where Don, the resident homosexual, comes in, of course, because, you know, sort of every block of flats needs to have, you know, at least one gay character. So, but it was interesting because, you know, essentially it was the first representation that, you know, sort of in, not just Australian TV, but, you know, TV internationally as well, actually had an openly gay character as one of its main, you know, sort of um, characters and not just a, you know, gay of the week kind of thing that you often get in All Saints or, or GP or things like that. Um, so yeah, so he was openly gay, and I'll just go to the um, to the first clip because here we have he has to deal with Abigail, <laughs> who's quite a force to be reckoned with, and um, and this is um, you know sort of the, the um, kind of his first outing on on TV, if you like. So if we can run that clip. Bev, just stop moping round the place, otherwise you're going to live on your own. (laughs) (laughs) 
Yeah, I wasn't very busy. Um, by the way, I, uh, I met Don in there. Oh, he's left Mummy again then, has he? We had quite a chat. Oh, nice for you. Discussing lay girls with frustrated interest, no doubt. God, you can be a bitch, Bev. Look, Don is not some sort of freak. He's perfectly normal. Huh. Well, he's normal enough to be concerned about you, to ask after you. Oh, how thoughtful. Or was he merely obliged to? Why don't you just stop being so damn self-pitying and think how he feels? He's outside, waiting to see you. Ah, oh, well, let's, let's not keep him waiting, then. Bring on the show. <laughs> Oh, don't worry, Janie. I'm not going to throw knives at him if that's what's bothering you. <laughs> Done? All right, I know what I'm not wanted now. I'm making polite exit. <laughs> Hello, Beth. Good evening, Miss Finlayson. Found a new <laughs> boyfriend yet, or are you still carrying a torch? Now, look, Beth, please try to understand. Oh, I understand. You mistook me for another Nancy boy. It's quite all right. It happens all the time. Now look, just calm down. That's a stupid, ignorant remark. And I expect better from someone like you. Like me? How complimentary. I'm likable, but not the sort of boy you'd take home to oh, Mum. For God's sake, Bev, I thought you knew. Otherwise, I'd have told you sooner. That would have made it different, I suppose. Yes, it would. If for one thing, you wouldn't have gotten so serious. You flatter yourself. All right, then why are you being like this? Look, I admit it the way I am. It was hard for me to say as for you to hear. You really think so? You've lived with it. I had it thrust upon me. It's not like that and you know it. <laughs> then how was it? Look, Bev, I like you. I like you very much. But I'm still the way I am and I can't change overnight. But at the same time, it's not the sort of thing you shout from rooftops. <laughs> Perhaps you should. Let the whole world know. You seem quite proud of the fact. So why not let everyone know? Shout it out. Or shall I do it for you? Bev, please. Don't listen to me. Can everyone hear me? Oh, God, Bev, <laughs> oh, poor no. Don. <laughs> that was more interesting than anything I've seen on Australian TV recently. <laughs> <laughs> well, see, and this is right as well, because almost 40 years later, Neighbours, after 15, year, 15 years on air, finally gets a continuing gay character, and his coming out becomes a major storyline. So it's not just, you know, shuffled away in the closet, it's actually dealt with. Um, now, it's almost taken him ten, uh, two years to get an on-screen kiss, but it finally happened a few weeks ago, and you know what? The world didn't end. Um, you know, actor James Main didn't actually um, get death threats and, in fact, received none of the outrage protests that the Home and Aways thing got at, at all, um, which is interesting. I, I kind of put it down to two things. One, no-one gives two hoots anymore. Or two, it was broadcast on Channel 11. And <laughs> none of the vocal conservatives can be bothered watching Channel 11. So and it's kind of out of sight, out of mind, I, which, is, which is interesting. But, I mean, even James Mason, I think, sort of commented after, you know, sort of the, it was aired a couple of weeks ago that, there was, that he'd only received positive, supportive feedback and stuff. There was no outrage and anything like that. So it's, um, it's kind of interesting because it's, it, it, it's interesting that it's taken this long to actually um, get to that point. Um, but before I go on too much more, I'll actually show you sort of the, um, 
the first clip of, from Neighbours that I've got, it's sort of like a compilation of, his, of, of Chris's coming out. This was screened in August 2010, so it's, it's about 18 months ago. So, um, so we'll have a look at, at you know, Chris's... Well, it was a much longer sort of storyline, but I've just chosen a few little highlights of him coming out, just to sort of show how he starts. Hey. Come on, You know, no one really thinks someone's the one, right? We're just locking around. Except for Tash, but no one takes you seriously anyway. Seriously, mate, they'll forget about it in 10 seconds. It's not that big a deal, right? Actually, I know exactly what's going on. You're worried that if they're right about someone, what's that say about you? I'm not worried about that. Sure, something's wrong then. Huh? Okay, you need to get over this. This has nothing to do with this you. This has everything to do with me. Why? Because she's Summer's boyfriend for the 50th time. Summer is not I gay. I know. I know Summer's not gay. Chew. Sorry, dude, I've got to get out of this chemistry, so... Yeah, me and Summer, we're like this. Well, not literally, but when she comes out, I'll be the first to know. Hey, why? Because somebody's going to get hurt. I don't involve Summer. Lesbians are totally cool right now. We both know it's not Summer. Whoever it is just needs to come out whenever they want to come out. You know who it is. No. (laughs) Great. I can't even spell lesbian. Graffiti is not acceptable, but this is discrimination, and that's worse. Now I'm going to make this very clear. Anyone caught discriminating against any other student will be suspended, or worse. Anyone not understand? No. No. Good. Now get out. This is how it works, okay? When you're ready, anyone who wrote their secret down comes up and shreds it. Once it's done, if you like, we can talk about how you're feeling, but no pressure. You never told me what you were recording. Doesn't matter. Like I said, it was lame. Okay. Anyone interested in telling us if getting rid of a secret has made them feel any different? Someone wants to. Leave her alone. No, I'm happy to volunteer. Alright, very good. Sing a scanny leg song. Shut up. <laughs> I don't care what any of you know about me. Whatever you think, it doesn't affect me. The important thing is what I think of myself. Chris? You don't have to do this, mate. You all made a big mistake bagging Summer. You should have been bagging me. I'm the one with the secret. Standing up. So mates are full. 
So long, how long have you known? Just hit me for the last few months. So you started going to summer? No, it's not summer. What then? Well, after Harry left, and then you and me became mates, and I started to I started to question stuff. You and me, what stuff? Good thing for me. I'm not gay, okay? Yeah, I know, but I can't help it. Then you better get over it. Well, I don't know what to do. Stay away from me. Oh, poor Chris. I know. See, and the interesting thing is that his best friend, Andrew, was, you know, all up there to support him and, oh, that's it's fine by me until he realises that, you know, that Chris had a thing for him. And it's like, no way, dude. <laughs> I'm not doing this. Um, now, that storyline, you know, sort of doesn't end quickly. Um, and I think, it, you know, I, I was sort of doing some research on the internet. But just Thankfully, someone has actually taken the time to pull all of those storylines with Chris together in 10-minute blocks on YouTube. So you can go and search Chris Gay, you know, Chris Neighbours Gay TV, you know, sort of subplot, and you'll find it all in, in nice, you know, um, tidy little 10-minute blocks. Um, so so and it takes a while for Andrew to actually come around and, and sort of become, you know, good friends with, um, with Chris again. But it's, um, you know, it's in the intervening years between, you know, sort of Don came out as a homosexual and Chris admitted that he had a crush on Andrew... Um, you know, gay characters, did they appear on TV? Well, they did, but mostly as, as parts, you know, bit parts or as one-off characters in shows like Cop Shop, as I said before, A Country Practice, The Box, Chances, um, All Saints, they're just a few to name. Um, and more often than not, they were actually victims of violence or they were, had medical conditions or they were mostly related, which were mostly related to AIDS or STIs. Um, or they were outrageously stamp, carry, camp, stamp, camp stereotypes, and only good for a, you know, a pithy one-liner here and there. Um, but I, so, I suppose mostly their lives, you know, sort of, and their sex lives just weren't examined too closely because you, you know, we didn't want to, you know, we don't mind what you gays get up to in the bedroom. We just don't want to see it on the television, please. Um, and that kind of, you know, perpe- you know, was perpetuated for quite a while. There was one show in the mid '90s that challenged this, though, and that was a, um, an ABC show called GP. Um, which not only had a couple of, of episodes of, of characters with, you know, of gay characters dealing with medical conditions and stuff like that, but in its later years, about 1994, 95, um, they actually introduced a new character, Dr. Martin Dempsey, who was played by Damien Rice. Um, and he was an openly gay and a sexually active doctor. And he was, you know, part of the regular cast. And he had a boyfriend who was played by Lockie Dedo, believe it or not. Um, and it was actually a brave step, I think, for this ABC drama to do that. Um, it ended in 1996, um, and you know, sort of, and and you know, it, I think you know, um, ratings started to climb. But it was you know, that, and that was pretty much it. Um, I tried to find stuff on on the interweb, nothing. Um, and it's not because it wasn't; it, it's because it's still part of the ABC public domain, I think. And they, you know, so there's no DVDs available. There are no, not even any YouTube clips. I think I only found one photo. But it was quite a, a you know, a, a breakthrough for the mid '90s. You know, after the conservatism of the um, of the, the mid to late '80s and, and the early '90s. Um, but you know, so so there, it was all quiet on the gay front for for quite a few years until you know, sort of. Um, in the UK, about 1999, um, Queer as Folk changed the way that gay men were actually portrayed on screen. 
Um, you know, and from there, you know, sort of that was in 1999. From there, we had characters in, you know, sort of shows like EastEnders, Coronation Street, Emmerdale, um, and even um, and even Doctor Who and Torchwood and stuff like that. Um, and there was actually an interesting stat. This was a, a book that I actually contributed a chapter to that was a, a lounge critic uh, forum, which was a, something that Acme did about eight years ago. And I did a chapter called Is Queer the New Black? Um, and, and sort of talked about reality TV sort of more so in that. But I think, I think Travis, you're going to be touching a bit more on that no, later on as well. But, um, but no, but one of the facts in here that I'll just read out, it says, in TV's 50-year history, there have only been around 25 queer characters or contestants on Australian TV, compared to about 315 in the US, in the UK, sorry, and around 120 in the US. So it's kind of interesting that, you know, we started off, you know, really, you know, sort of quite advanced and quite progressive with the, you know, with number 96, but we just kind of got behind the eight ball, which is, you know, which is a bit sad, I, I think. Um, but yeah, but I think Queer as Folk changed this, and, and I'll show you a clip now, but I think the, the interesting thing about Queer as Folk um, is that it, it um, you know, it, it, it presented gay men and gay characters with, a, with an active sexual life, and, and it didn't hold back. You know, Russell T Davies, who then, you know, sort of um, about five years later, produced Doctor Who and, and quite successfully introduced gay characters into, into Doctor Who, which was always very, you know, family, you know, friendly. And again, no, no problems there whatsoever. But he just sort of launched Queer as Folk in 1999. And I remember, um, you know, going to a friend's place who'd, who'd just got the, the, you know, the VHS from, from the UK and who was sort of, you know, we, sat, we went for a Queer as Folk party. We watched the first four episodes, I think, you know, back to back and, you know, a group of gay men. And we were just astounded because it was, you know, it sort of, it was, it was so new, but it was so great to see our, you know, sort of lives that we could recognise and identify with on the big screen. So I thought what I'd do is just show you the first four minutes or so of the first episode of Queer as Folk from 1999, just to show, you know, sort of in, even in comparison to that clip that we just saw from Neighbours from, you know, this year, you know, sort of how, you know, how forward-thinking Russell T Davies and Queer as Folk was. So if we can run that clip, please. Thank you, Joe. Sometimes you get a good Thursday. Sometimes you get a bog standard Thursday. Sometimes you get a shit Thursday. This Thursday was mental. Thursday night in Babylon used to be 70s night, but they changed it. Thursday night is 90s night, which makes you feel ancient. Thanks very much. I spent all night chasing after some bloke who turns out to be mad. Like, really mad. He had every episode of Juliet Bravo on tape. So, it's getting late. Lights on. I've been cocked on. Phil's not cocked off. And Stuart? Stuart's cocked off. Oi! It's Wait there. Don't move. Where are you going? You've cocked off. Go out, I'm just getting his telephone number, that's all. What do you do, swore? I'll be ten minutes. Wait for me, wait for the chief. You've got to get me home, wait for me! So, he brings the car, gives you the key so you can't drink, then he buggers off. Nice system. I'll give him ten minutes. I don't mind. He's still looking. He is not. He is so. 
It's all muscles. I don't cop off with muscles. <laughs> I mean, what happens? He takes his kit off, Marky Mark. I take mine off, Norman Wisdom. I had a bloke with muscles once. Fabulous. I'd be let loose on a bouncy castle. <laughs> He's still looking. Oh, shut it! Now sometimes you're halfway through a shag and you just get bored of him. So you wank him off in a doorway and move straight on. Because you keep on looking. That's why you keep going out. There's always some new bloke, some better bloke, just waiting around the corner. And that was the night he came along. The one night stand that never went away. I mean, I'm just looking, but I don't... I mean, what's the best place to go? Depends on what you're after. If you want bastards, you go in there. And if you want wankers, go in there. And if you want selfish little mincing, piss-tight dickheads, then pick a building. Any building, it's full of them. Manny! Don't be said that. Don't be said to her. It's just a I was in school. Mr. Daniels, PE. I'm standing there. We're chatting away, football or something, and he's getting his gear off. Big hairy bloke. Nice. So I keep talking. We're in his office. He's got this cubicle, like his own private shower. Next thing, he's stark, bollock, naked. Fantastic. I'm still talking about like a twat, and he gets in the shower, pulls the curtain, half pulls it. Now, I'm 12 years old. I'm thinking, hi, aye. So I got in the shower with all my clothes on. <laughs> I did. <sighs> I must have been scared to death. But I don't remember being scared. Have a good night. Yeah. I'm Stuart. Got somewhere to go? No. When I come back to mine. I was 15. I did it the first time I went out. I'm quite proud of that. I'm dead proud of that my first time out. Stuart Allen Jones. He's looking down at me. Like the face of God. And that's how we, um, we were introduced to Queer as Folk, which I think... 
even now it's sort of you know and it's you know 13 years old it's sort of like it's there everything is there you know the gay nightclub the, the, the sex you know sort of just people talking about coming out and you know sort of and for a lot of gay men you know and I remember watching it as I said you're thinking yeah this is out you know this is us on TV why did why have we never seen this before it was like a, a revelation and it was it actually well, it was a revelation and it was a revolution and we you know we started seeing more and more diverse you know sort of representations of gay characters on TV um, now, you know, as I said, more recently we've had Offspring, we've had Winners and Losers, Stingers, The Slap, you know, sort of as well. And apart from Neighbours, you know, sort of, there's only other one, one other show that really stands out, and that was on television on the ABC again earlier this year, and it was called Outland. Um, it's a show about a gay science fiction club. Significant because their sexuality is actually not the issue. It's the, it's, that's a given. It's their struggle with being a sci-fi fan that actually drives the, the show and the way they all connect and stuff like that. Um, and look, it's it's a really interesting show. How many people actually watched Outland? Oh, a handful. Yeah, <laughs> it was um, it was it was fun. And um, and I'm not going to show you a clip, but I, uh, from the show itself. But I am going to show you an interview with um, with the, the writers Adam Richard and John Richards um, that's on the DVD as an extra. And I'm just going to show you a, a little thing talking about why they wrote it and where it, you know where it came from and, and what they think of it. Um, and then I'll, I'll sort of come back and discuss it a little bit further. But um, I'll just show you this little clip from the, um, from the DVD. See, Dylan? This, this is what it's all about. I would say it's about people who are in the closet about something and looking for someone to either come out to or to come in the closet and hang around with. It's, we, we, we again, pretentiously, we used to say that it was post-gay. We wanted to make yeah. a show in which being gay isn't the issue. The issue yeah. is there's something else that you want Although, to... Although, given that, you know, we haven't done a gay show in Australia, it's still... Yeah, it's... It's proto-gay. It's pre-gay. It's pre, pre, pre and post-gay. <laughs> the new group and everything. New group? No, not group. I didn't mean group. What new group? Really, it's nothing. I, I wasn't supposed to... What mention. new group? Really, there's... No new group. What's it called? The Lesbian Separatist Feminist Fantasy League. <laughs> I would have told you guys, but you know, testicles. Speak for yourself. <laughs> but that thing you were saying about you know, the, the sort of the, the coming out metaphor, not as a gay thing though, as yeah. a kind of you know embracing yourself. But people do. People like you know people talk about coming out of the closet like it's you know it's a really big deal. But people have to do that all their lives for different things. Like you know you know the. There's crazy sword and sorcery people that have like the, they play Dungeons and Dragons. Like, you know, they might work in a factory somewhere and just go, yeah, on the weekend they wear a cape and stab elves. <laughs> but, but they're not going to tell their, their co-workers. I'm not normal. I'm gay. And I like science fiction. You hear me? I like science fiction! <laughs> wow, I just, I just came out of two closets. So I think everyone can relate to some on some level. It was when we when we were showing at festivals, the, the original short film version played around the world, and, and one of my favourite things was in London, where this guy came up afterwards saying, "Just saw your short film. I'm not a science fiction fan, but I'm a train spotter." <laughs> and it was this beautiful moment for him. He came out. He completely came out, and someone else told me that you know, their house was covered in pictures of Betty Grable or something. I was like, "Yeah, this is." <laughs> Everyone's got this bit of insanity that, that they always think, oh, well, it's just me, everyone else is normal. And no one's normal. No, no one. No one's normal. That, that's, yeah, no one's normal. That's no the tagline. <laughs> <laughs>
there. So there you go. No one's normal. You know, so tell that to your, your middle-aged, you know, white Australian mm. pr TV producers yeah. and stuff like that. Um, so, so there you go, post-gay. Outland was post-gay because it, it sort of kind of didn't even deal with, you know, didn't do with the whole coming out thing. It just sort of went, you know, yeah, they're gay characters, get over it. What was interesting, though, was that there were, it was reviewed in the Age Green Guide um, by Jim Shembury, who said that it was too gay. Um, now, and, and, and as a result, he obviously hadn't seen Queer as Folk. Um, but as a result, um, he, in <laughs> um, he inadvertently created a social media storm, um, which unfortunately ended up with him leaving the, you know, his job at the age after 30 years or so, which is, which is sad because I know Jim, he's not, he's not homophobic at all. He's actually a very, you know, sort of for all his, his quirks and idiosyncrasies, he's actually a, a very clever man. He's, you know, sort of, and he's very accepting. I mean, you, you don't watch 30 years of TV and film and theatre no. and not be exposed to, to sexuality on that kind of level. Um, so it's kind of interesting to, to, to think, though, on, on that, that in 2012, you know, sort of there still seems to be resistance to seeing gay men in their lives, you know, uncensored on mainstream TV. Um, uh, so what does that mean? You know, um, are gay men destined to be second-class citizens on TV screens as well as, you know, sort of in society, you know, given that we don't have gay marriage? There's plenty of, of evidence, I think, to say, no, we're not always going to be second-class citizens, but it also appears that we've still got a long way to go. If, you know, sort of, you know, and Neighbours, you know, sort of is, is breaking a bit of ground, Outland sort of kind of moving us forward, but we've still a long way to go. Um, well, that's, and that's what I think. And I, you know, I just hope that we actually will keep, keep it moving and, you know, sort of, here's hoping. I so reckon then. we will have got there only when um, I see the Brownlow medal... And um, one of the footballers turns up with his his boyfriend, and they oh. ask them what they're wearing. It'll look like <laughs> that I believe that we've got there. Yeah, hopefully okay. very little. It's a whole new <laughs> it's a whole new league of wags, except they're what gags. Yes. Yeah, yeah, gags, yeah, 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 yeah. Hags, looking Hags. like at those clips, and then looking at number ninety six, and and that line that was. Um, Homosexuality is now an accepted part of society, even if the law hasn't doesn't agree mm. with it. And then neighbours with um, lesbianism is you know it's discrimination. It's so, it's so yeah. fashionable now. Yeah. And then onto the whole post-gay thing. So I mean, you can see that really clear evolution. But the thing you can hear in number ninety six and in neighbours and how dated does neighbours look? I mean, mm. it just you can't even believe it. That's that's mm. the current series. Um, that. Um, you can always hear the writers struggling, well, how will I deal with this message? Mm. Um, and then they just sort of do it so stupidly. <laughs> and so sort of like bang you over the head, this, you know, like the teacher getting up sort of saying, oh, discrimination is not going to be tolerated, you know. And it's, it, it's, mm. it's that whole, you know, yeah, that whole sort of like, yeah, we're here to tell a message, to, yeah. to preach. And, and it was so awkward in that whole standing up in the classroom and like someone's got a secret to reveal. Like, it just sort of seems a little bit over the top, you know, like, <laughs> well, surely don't they have counsellors or something for this sort of See, thing? but it yeah. doesn't even say I'm gay. He yeah. just sort of yeah, says, I've got a secret too. It's sort of like, you know, even saying I'm gay is sort of like, you know, for, for, forbidden. One of the things I, I kept thinking is when you would, when I would ever see as a kind of a young person or a teenager any kind of, you know, gay kissing or lesbian kissing on uh, the screen, there would always be the discussion, I wonder if they're really gay. Um, you know, I wonder if they're really, you know, homos, whether they're really lesbians. No, no one ever wondered that about straight kissing. Mm. No one ever saw straight, you know, actors mm. in telly or screen, on film mm. going... 
What if they really are straight? <laughs> that's, that's totally true. That's like true. Andrew McFarlane from the Sullivans. Yeah, know. like Rock Hudson. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, there's one of those on television, even as we speak. No one, you know, sort of, well, it's kind of like a, a, an unspoken secret. Um, you know, one of the um, Pact of the Rafters actors is, is actually gay, but no one knows. Well, but he's not officially out. And Are you he's about been asked. To out him, Tim? Sorry? Are you about to out him? No, I'm just saying that, you know, sort of that um, apparently it's written into his contract that he cannot, you know, sort of um, reveal his sexuality. Isn't that bizarre? Um. That's so bizarre. Even though so many people know. But, yeah. but see, this is the thing that I find interesting. It's like watching that Queer as Folk clip, particularly the UK version, which I thought was just so amazing because it was so believable. You know, by the time it made it to the US, it was so polished and the people were so polished. And, um, but what I love about them is all those actors that play gay and played it so beautifully and um, from such a great place and convincingly were straight. And they really wore it proudly. You know, they, they were happy to be interviewed and... Um, and I don't understand why we have that hesitation as you know, actors in this country or even in America to sort of just go, you know, well, yeah, I'm gay or I'm not gay or, you know, it's such a controversial issue. I don't see... It's interesting, the, the use of the word, you know, provocative or controversial. See, I just don't think it is. Mm. There's people like the Australian Christian Lobby who only number about, seriously four times the amount of people in this room yeah. who are noisy, they have heaps of time on their hands and they just get out whenever, you know, the bloody Brisbane bus shelters where they had the fantastic same-sex, there's been a huge rise in HIV in Brisbane. And so they put these terrific, you know, use a condom um, ads up, um, you know, a, a get, you know, couple of guys cuddling, one's wearing a crucifix, he's a Christian... Gay Christians can never work that out. Um, and uh, and uh, the ACL, the Australian Christian Lobby, complained, had the posters taken down in the bus shelters, but the people who put up the billboard, which was the same um, uh, campaign but a different company, they said, no, we're not taking them down. We got a whiff of it on the Monday morning. I can remember sitting there and my, you know, my gay housemate and his partner at the time kind of you know, going out, and I'm in my nighty and... Kids have had to get themselves breakfast and, you know, I'm trying to, you know, get the bloody process back. I said, you guys go off and bloody have a good time. I'm, you know, here trying to, you know, fight for your rights. And by the end of the day, the process were all back up Mm -hmm. again. But it is that very noisy Mm -hmm. minority and it generally is Christian and right wing. And I've got to say, as someone working in the media, they're just so scared. They just go, oh, we can't be fucked dealing with them. Mm -hmm. We cannot be fucked Mm -hmm. dealing with them. And so they're now, they are an absolute toothless tiger and even and they just get they just get so easily blown over now if anybody goes oh hang on but they they and they they talked about like this powerful lobby group they're just not a dude on a computer yeah it is a dude yeah. on a computer mm-hmm. and yeah. a whole lot of people who are it's just like all of the stuff that I'm sure that we all have done with the same yeah. sex marriage stuff and that they were just like bomb poles yeah. mm. they were bomb poles oh, what we're allowed to have a vote too it's mm. like yeah but you know they have a highly amplified voice and I suppose. That was my point of what I was saying about I want what's on screen mm. to represent the diversity and the, it, it, that is authentic in our actual society. Mm. And why aren't we seeing that? And, yeah. I'm, you, know, you know, we're talking about, you know, queer TV tonight, but it's, it's across the board. Mm. You know, what, what is the vested interest in... I mean, I know in Australia it's lowest common denominator equals broader audience and we've got a small audience. But, like, you know, because we've got fewer people, but people want to watch stuff. And I think yeah. that now we've got... The internet and YouTube that we now that that, that that suddenly 
people are starting to realise what we've kind of done all along, that we want to see kind of more, um, mm. more fibre in our diet, more variety in our diets, more rainbow in our diets. Mm. But still, the commercial, you know, media, Channel 9, with its, you know, run by Macker and Wacker in their mm. bomber jackets, who used to flick with <laughs> Mac and, and call, you know, and refer to the girls in publicity and drive four-wheel drives, you know? Yeah, Get I, the girls to bring some crownies in, you know? They're, they're telling us what we want to see as opposed yeah. to actually listening to us. And I think there's also that, you know... Um, just not giving us enough credit, you know, and, and that's probably why people, you know, there is this movement away from traditional TV because they're not giving us what we actually want to see. Yeah, and people are just turning off in droves. Mm. Droves. Yes, mm. which leads us nicely into you, Alistair. Yeah. Because you're going to talk about, you know, sort of what might be turning people off <laughs> in droves. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, you'll be talking about, you know, sort of what was turning you on on television apart from Adelaide. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, it's kind of interesting because um, we've been talking just now about uh, some television shows that have a message and just beat you over the head with that message, which is something that I'll be touching on, actually. Um, but mainly uh, what I want to talk about is, is shows with younger gay characters, especially shows... Um, aimed at teenagers, like teen dramas and that kind of thing. Uh, because when Sean asked me to participate in this panel, I immediately thought back on my, my teenage years and the kind of television that I used to watch at that age because um, this may come as a shock to you, this, this revelation that I'm about to dump on you, but as a teenager, I was actually a bit of a nerd. Um, <laughs> let it, take a moment to let that sink in. But, um, yeah, you know, I was one of those kids... Um, I wasn't very worldly. You know, my friends and I in high school were all about the three Vs, you know, video games, virginity, and just those two Vs, actually. <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, the difference between me and my friends was they would all sit around thinking, how can we get girls to have sex with us? I would sit around thinking, how can I get them to fool around with me? But, um, you know, I actually, this does relate to television, I promise, because, you know, thinking about this, I kind of felt like, you know, a weirdo and an outcast among the weirdos and the outcasts. Because, like I was saying, I wasn't a very worldly kid, and a lot of what I knew about the world, a lot of my knowledge of, about how the world worked, actually came from uh, television. And, you know, uh, thinking about all the television shows that I watched, I just I can't remember a single character where I ever felt like I was seeing even, even some element of myself reflected back at me. I mean, the period that I'm talking about is, is kind of the late 90s. And, you know, I watched a lot of teen dramas back then. And thinking about the shows from that period, thinking about the characters that you would see, uh, there were a lot of, you know, definite archetypes and definite character types that you could identify in those, those teen shows. You know, like, for example, if you were to think about the characters, you, you might think about... There were always jocks, for example, you know, the fit, popular kids. You know, there were uh, always kind of... They were cool kids... You know, there were nerds. They, they may only have been there for, you know, comic relief purposes, but they were still there. Uh, you know, you had the rebels, and then you had the boy or the girl next door who was kind of the romantic lead in the series. You know, I'm thinking maybe of Dawson's Creek, like Joey or Dawson in that show kind of filled that role. And there were some shows that, that took those, those archetypes, those stereotypes, and kind of pushed the boundaries a bit. You know, in 2000, there was um, Freaks and Geeks, the very short-lived and very greatly missed show. It was set in an American high school in 1981, and it kind of focused on those nerds and those outcasts, and it gave those characters a lot of nuance, and it gave them a lot of really interesting stories. 
that the kind of nerds hadn't really had necessarily in TV shows up until that point. And, you know, Freaks and Geeks was great, and it, it gave the world shit, like James Franco, Seth Rogen, basically everyone who stars in or directs comedy movies now was in Freaks and Geeks. Um, but, I mean, the point that I'm making is that show, even though it pushed the boat out in so many ways, even then there wasn't really a gay character on that show that I felt as a kid I could identify with. You know, I guess what I really wanted to see was just, like, a, a gay kid, I don't want to say normal, but like a gay kid who just wasn't very cool, who just hung out with a group of friends and did the same things they did, whose gayness wasn't necessarily their defining trait, but just like a, just like a regular gay kid, I guess. And I just I, I don't ever remember seeing that on television. And I want to talk now a bit about Dawson's Creek, which I mentioned, um, because, of course, there was a gay character on that show, Jack. Um, for those who never saw the show, Jack came in around season two, I think. He was sort of the mysterious, handsome stranger. He was a kid who came from another town, came to Capeside High. Um, to start off with, um, Joey had a bit of a crush on him. And for those of you under 25, Joey was a girl, because girls had boys' names in the 90s. <laughs> but yeah, it quickly sort of emerged that Jack was gay. And that was a really big deal at the time, because you know Dawson's Creek was a very mainstream network kind of drama series aimed at kids and I think you know to have an openly gay character was was quite a big thing you know especially on an American show and you know the thing with Jack was I really wanted to like Jack uh, because he was kind of the closest thing that I had to cling to you know like a gay person on television who was around my age that I should have been able to relate to but the thing about Jack that bothered me and I didn't realize this at the time I kind of realize it now is that Jack, you know, he was a very angsty, very troubled kind of character. And part of the reason for that was that Jack's gayness defined all the stories that were told about him. You know, the other characters, his friends, they had all kinds of stories that they got to participate in. With Jack, I guess more so in the early years, but kind of throughout almost, everything came back to his gayness. You know, Jack had his, his coming out story, which was very troubled and tempestuous. You know, and then Jack fought to be accepted by, you know, the, the bigots in his small town. And then he had, there was a whole storyline with Jack having a big problem with, with his dad because Jack's dad was a very buttoned-down kind of conservative guy who just couldn't accept that he had a gay son, damn it, you know, and something's got to change here. And, you know, those are, I don't want to diminish those things because those are all real things that happen to real people. But watching Dawson's Creek... As a kid, I always wished that the show, especially with Jack, would just stop dealing with these big issues, you know, and just let Jack be just a normal, boring kid who knocked around with the other sort of normal, boring, uncool kids. And, you know, that never really happened. I just felt like Jack was really there to deliver a message. And you know, skipping forward now to today, obviously, you know, like we've all been saying, there are lots more gay characters represented on TV, like, you know, the kid from Neighbours being a, a local sort of example. But I still kind of find myself coming back to these questions about representation. Like, yes, there are gay characters, but what role do they fill? And we were actually speaking before the panel about Glee. And I think, Rachel, you were saying that you sometimes feel like Glee is, is preaching to you. And, um, uh, you know, Glee, it's, it's a very preachy kind of show. Like, Glee's actually quite moralistic in its way. You know, it's quite didactic. Glee is there to sort of teach you about tolerance and values. And it does that a lot through its gay character, Kurt. I mean, Kurt's the one I really want to talk about because, you know, he's... Um, I feel like I should like Kurt more than I do because, pragmatically speaking, 
the fact that this character Kurt exists is a really big thing for gay people because you know here you have this this out and proud gay high school student um, you know and he's in everyone's face every week it's like here's this really flamboyant little gay kid and he's right there and Glee it's not as popular as it once was I think in its first season it pulled like viewers in the tens of millions in America it's it's slipped a bit since then but you know you have you have Kurt kind of as the face of this really popular show. Uh, but, you know, once again, I kind of, when I watch Kurt on Glee, I kind of think back to what I was like when I was, you know, 16, watching Jack on Dawson's Creek and just wishing I could watch, you know, a story about a character rather than be, be given a message. And, I mean, when it comes to Glee, you can't really expect, you know, gritty realism because, you know, <laughs> after all, this is a show where people freaking burst into Katy Perry songs in the hallway with a full band for no good reason. So you've got that. But, like, at the same time... You know, Kurt is a character who's defined by his, his gayness. You know, he's there to teach us lessons about bullying, you know, which is bad, and tolerance, which is good, obviously. But I just, you know, I really wish that Kurt... I just wish that Glee wasn't so preachy and that we could have a character like Kurt who, rather than teaching us a lesson and delivering a message, was just, just a gay kid. I mean, having said all that about Glee, there are elements of the show that I really like, and the clip that I want to show doesn't actually feature Kurt. It, um, it's from the second season. It features the character Blaine, uh, who was Kurt's boyfriend for a time. I've got to confess, I don't, I'm not actually up to date with Glee, so I don't know. If, are they still together? Yeah. Oh, good for them. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like season two. you're not gay now, if that's the case. Yeah. Um, basically, yeah, for those who haven't seen the show, uh, Kurt, saintly little Kurt, gets bullied out of his school in season two. So he goes to this fucking ridiculous all-boys school where everyone wears, like, matching Louis Vuitton uniforms and they've got a pet canary as their mascot. And I don't know, it's just, it's outrageous. But yeah, Kurt meets Blaine, they get together, it's very sweet. But there's this one scene that I really, really like. Uh, Kurt's dad is uh, your sort of typical blue-collar, blokey kind of bloke. You know, he's a mechanic, he's a single dad. He, you know, Kurt comes out to him... He doesn't really understand his weird gay son, but he makes a, a really sincere effort. And I think that Kurt's dad is one of the more rounded characters in the show. This is neither here nor there. I think he is really hot, the actor who plays Kurt's dad. Does anyone, is anyone with me on that? Show of hands. He's all right. Think he's all right. I think the polygamist in Big Love is really hot. <laughs> Which one? The, the you know the guy who's got the three wives. Bill the, Paxton. The Mormon, yeah. Yeah. Oh, that I was think... a very confronting thing for me to go, God, I find that... Polygamous, really hot. That's <laughs> you should embrace that. You should just embrace the weird. Do you think so? Yeah, he do has it. Some regular tough roles as well. So it's interesting yeah. that you like that. No, I like him life. there. Yeah. The best. Yeah. <laughs> well, so yeah, like Kurt's dad. You're going to see him in this clip. He is totally hot. I would totally hit that. <laughs> Neither here nor there. I've disgraced myself enough. Let's just watch the clip and talk about it afterwards. You here looking for parts? No, actually, I uh, wanted to talk to you about Kurt. Is he okay? Have you ever talked to him about sex? Are you gay or straight or what? I'm definitely gay. Okay, good. I mean, you know, whatever, but uh, you know, good for Kurt. He needs someone like you to talk to. Well, that's kind of my point. I've tried talking to him, but he basically puts his fingers in his ears and starts singing. Well, when he's ready, he'll listen. I'm worried that it might be too late. You know, Dalton doesn't even have sex ed classes. Most schools don't, and the ones that do almost never discuss what sex is like for gay kids. 
Kurt is, is the most moral, compassionate person I've ever met. You know, he gets that from his mother. And, and I'm blown away by your guys' relationship. You think my dad built a car with me because he loves cars? I think he did it because he thought getting my hands dirty might make me straight. Yeah, he talked to you about this uh, kind of stuff? Oh, I had to go find it for myself. The internet is great and all the information is out there, but I went searching for it. Kurt won't. And one day he'll be at a party and maybe have a few drinks and then I'll meet some guy and start fooling around and, and he's not gonna know about using protection or STDs. I don't have the relationship with my dad that you have with Kurt. I think it would be really cool if you took advantage of that. I'm sorry if I'm overstepping. You are. So there you go. You know, and I, I wish more of Glee was like that because that scene I think is actually really poignant and really powerful. And yeah, just the interplay between those two characters, and especially Kurt's dad. You know, who, who, like I said, finds Kurt's gayness kind of confronting. But you know, ultimately he really loves his son, so he just he mans up and he learns to deal with it. And he's a, he's a really cool character. I think now he's. He's become a bit ridiculous. He's, be he's run for president or something, hasn't he? Congress. Sorry. Congress, there you go. Whatever, that's glee for you. But, you know, I, I, I really, really like that in particular. And um, I guess it kind of speaks for itself. Moving on from there, you know, because I have been a bit negative. Um, there are certainly some examples of gay characters on, on television recently, especially young gay characters who are actually you know, pretty cool, and who aren't defined just by their gayness. I mean, another example that I can think of is an American show that's no longer actually running. I think it ran for four seasons. Um, it was called Greek. Has anybody seen that show, Greek? Mm -hmm. It was really good. Like, just to sum it up, it was based on um, an American college campus, and it sort of took place in the fraternity system. And uh, the main character's best friend, this guy called Calvin, you find out very early in the piece that he's gay. And he kind of goes into this very jockey, very blokey kind of fraternity. And in one of the first episodes, Calvin hooks up with this other frat boy. And, you know, they get together, they sort of, he sleeps over, and it's all very secretive, and they both, like, slink away the next morning. And in the early episodes, Calvin is kind of really terrified about his, like, frat brothers finding out that he's gay because he thinks he'll be ostracised. But the way that plot line kind of wraps up is he's, he's totally worked himself up into this state and then he finally, he's outed and he comes clean to his frat brothers. And the joke is that they don't really care. Like, they kind of knew all along. And to them, it wasn't really a big deal, you know, because he's their friend and that's more important than anything else. And, you know, that might be kind of an idealised view of how these things happen. But, you know, I, I really liked Greek for a lot of reasons. But, you know, for a sort of uh, squeaky clean kind of teen drama, it, it got into some very interesting thematic kind of territory. And the characters were all very rich and well-drawn. And I really liked that, you know, after this coming-out storyline, this gay kid, Calvin, was... He was just another kid in that show, you know? Like, his gayness wasn't the driving force behind his stories. He was just another character. And, you know, there are, I'm sure there are other examples that you could pull out of the air. That's the one I've thought of. But, you know, just the fact that that character was out there on Greek, which I think was on ABC America, so another very mainstream network, that, to me, is just a very positive thing. 
the, just quickly, the second clip that I want to show tonight has absolutely nothing to do with anything I've spoken about. I just think it's hilarious, <laughs> and I want to show it to you. It's from the show uh, Archer, which is an animated show. Uh, it's about uh, a spy, basically, called Sterling Archer, who is a real... It's set in this weird netherworld. It's not really the 60s. It's not really now. It's just kind of like all the spy movie archetypes kind of mashed together. Uh, Sterling, basically, he's really cocky. He's a womanizer. He's really buff. He's a complete <laughs> moron. Um, he has this Oedipal relationship with his mother, who's actually played by um, the actress who plays Lucille Bluth on Arrested Development. And the character actually looks a lot like her as well, which is awesome. <laughs> but um, basically, in this episode, it's called Honeypot. There's a, a Cuban agent... Um, who is gay, and ISIS, the spy agency, needs to sort of take him out. So they send Sterling Archer down to Miami to um, basically impersonate a gay man. And Sterling, he does a terrible job, as you will see, and he meets these two gay guys, these two incredibly camp gay guys who actually turn out to be like super hardcore assassins who kind of school him in, you know, how to be gay. So I just think it's actually two clips from the same episode that I'm going to show. I just think it's really funny. So... um if we can hit that. <laughs> Mama, tengo que irme. <clears throat> can I help you? Well, I don't know. Can you? <laughs> Is this some sort of viral marketing? What? what? No, I or meant... are you asking me specifically if I have a penis? Uh, it's more of a conversation starter. And here's a conversation ender. Adios. Oh, bilingual snap. Thank you. Do you not see me rocking this chiseled slab of hard man body? I mean, come on. Are you gay or not? I am. But you, you are so not my type. What? Hey, I am everybody's type. Oh, <laughs> please. What? You are entirely too gay. No, I'm not. Are you kidding? Oh, my God. You like sneeze glitter. <laughs> Thank you. Intimate. So, yeah, basically we're the front line in the fight against tyranny. Thank you. My pleasure, sir. I want to dress you up like a little gnome and just have you live in my garden. I would like some new clothes. Shut up. But also, <laughs> in speaking of clothes, these seem way too normal. What? Normal as opposed to gay? Implying that gay is abnormal? Not abnormal, just gay. Look, in spite of your personality, you get plenty of women, right? Uh, duh and or hello. So duh and or hello just <laughs> act like you normally do around women. Really? Because how hard is it to poach a goddamn egg properly? <laughs> I believe he means before you lure them into the apartment, so... Oh. Yeah, that makes more sense. So I just, like, what, approach him in a bar? Yeah, if I were you, I'd try the cockfight. A cockfight? Yeah, it's the name of a gay bar. But they also have actual cockfights. Yeah, Latino men. You take the bad with the good. Jesus, man, what is your problem? Jewel, blonde brunette. I thought I made it clear you are not my type. Is that where we landed on that? Because Dios I... mio. Is your ego so large you cannot handle a single rejection? Yes. Let me buy you a drink. I already have a drink. Why don't you buy him one? He can use it. <laughs> why, why, why don't we all have one and talk about it? Yeah! <laughs> Seriously, Woodhouse, how can you be so totally awesome and not be gay? Well, I was very fond of a boy at school once, Reggie Thistleton. But he died in the war at Flanders. Flanders? Hmm? What war was that? Oh, 
The Great War. They're all great. Oh my god, yes, those Nazi uniforms. <laughs> Hugo Boss. Shut up. Swear to God. And look at Slut just getting home. Well, I guess our advice worked. No, it didn't. Ramon blew me off. Then where were you all night? Way the Christ out in the Everglades burying some Dominican guy's rooster. Fun. Well, oh, you mean literally. Yes. Sorry. I mean, look at my clothes. And what the hell are you wearing, Woodhouse? I... We bought those for him, and if you throw them off the roof, I will fly to New York and fling acid in your face. Thank you. Oh, great. Mother, I have nothing to report yet. This is a lot harder than I thought it would be. How hard could it be to talk a gay man into having anonymous sex? Do you see the stereotypes we put up with? Look, you don't know what I'm dealing with. You don't know what I'm dealing with! <laughs> so there you go. And um, in a later episode, you actually get to see what happened between um, Woodhouse and Reggie Thistleton in the Great War, um, which is hilarious. But yeah, I just Archer is amazing, and I kind of like the fact that you know, it's it's kind of a running theme in Archer because there's a another agent on the show who works for ISIS called Ray Gillette, who's also like a super camp gay dude who's actually simultaneously like a really kick-ass secret agent. So that's kind of yeah, it's it's a thread that you see in that show that I just think is cool. So. Yeah, that's that's sort of about it for for what I had to say. Excellent. Um, it's interesting that you brought up um, Greek because before when you were talking about it, um, and I'm not sure if people are familiar with the show, but the thing that I loved about it was the amount it dealt with masculine relationships. Mm. You know, more often than not in, in soaps, um, you know, guys don't really get to have any kind of deep and meaningful exchange with each other. And with that, it really was, and in ways that weren't sexual yeah. or anything like well, that. It was kind of like that plot line we saw from Neighbours, this friendship that developed on Greek between a, a sort of a gay boy and a straight boy, but it was, um, you know, I, I think from what I saw of that Neighbours clip, that was kind of dealt with very superficially, whereas, you know, on Greek, it was actually all about them actually trying to understand each other, and they did remain really good friends throughout. Mm-hmm. So that was really cool. Yeah, it's actually, I realised I, I didn't actually show you the clip of, of, um, of Chris the Gay Boys, you know, in the Kiss in Neighbours, because we're sort of running behind time a bit. But, um, but yes, he actually, you know, sort of, um, in that scene, Andrew, the boy that he had the crush on, comes back and they're like, oh, he's there, well, and they're all good friends, so obviously they dealt with it some way and somehow. It just took 18 months. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, but I suppose now it's, you know, sort of um, time to sort of look at the other side of things um, you know we've you know seeing gay spies now it's time to see what Rachel's got to pull out of her <laughs> out of her bag of tricks I'm going to uh, shake things up a bit and, and I'm going to do mine standing up oh. I've got powerpoints and all sorts of things it's going to get highly technical uh, so basically I'm going to talk about lesbian representation in television um, over the last few decades and um, uh, no, if, if I just hit this now, it'll start. Okay. Um, so basically, uh, while it uh, might seem on the surface that we've come away, come a long way when you um, compare something like this to this, I sort of wonder how far have we really come. Um, so I'm going to go back actually to Hollywood in the 1930s and talk a little bit about the motion picture production code. Um, which some of you might actually know about. But um, so even though, um, um, I don't know if you guys can read that, uh, even though it actually pertains to film, I think the legacy of this code has actually been passed on 
to um, television. And even though there were examples of... Uh, so we're looking at actually like uh, any inference of sex perversion which read homosexuality. So there were filmmakers who basically got around that by using sort of coded symbolism and encoded language. But on the whole, basically, you weren't allowed to show uh, homosexuality at all in film. Um, now, there are some real clangers there, but um, basically the one that, um, that's had the most impact and, and actually that, and went into the 60s as well, when this code was being phased out and we started to see more homosexual characters uh, in film, but there was a catch. And what we saw, and this was especially in the case of, of lesbians, was that they were often portrayed as psychotic, homicidal, um, vengeful, lascivious and manipulative and quite often all of the above. Um, and they were also um, the tragic character that was more often than not killed off in the end. Um, go back to, uh, back to Frankie. I think Frankie Doyle's character um, on the 80s uh, television series Prisoner clearly demonstrates the classic life cycle of a lesbian character. So I'm going to play a clip in a second, but just to um, set it up, uh, uh, Frankie and her best friend Doreen have escaped from Wentworth Detention Centre and they've been on the run uh, when Frankie gets shot and killed, of course. Uh, in this video I'm about to play, Doreen has just arrived back at Wentworth and faces Karen, who Frankie was in love with. Um, of course, it was unrequited, which is also another big theme for lesbian characters. Um, and then it goes on to see themes from Frankie's life, which I'll just talk us through as well. So just when we go into that, the credits, if we can just turn the sound down a little bit, thanks. You. Doreen. I only came back so as I could see you. It's your fault Frankie's dead. She never would have got out and been dead by now if it hadn't been for you. Doreen, that's not true. You killed her! Oh! Oh, stop this. I'm going to get you! I'm going to get you for Frankie! You see? You see? She loved you, but you made her run. Now she's dead! Uh, so, here we have Frankie establishing her bull darkness with her tough smoking <laughs> technique. <laughs> Starting a riot. Uh, of course, Frankie is the one who is most nuts because out of control, like only a lesbian can be, being restrained like by vinegar tits after assaulting <laughs> another prisoner. Lesbian violence facing her arch-enemy B. Smith, but she, who she could never hope to beat because lesbian, always the loser. On the run, the beginning of the end for Frankie. And perhaps Frankie's most evil, uh, uh, pretending to be a nun and about to clock an old lady over the head with an iron bar, even, <laughs> even though that old lady has been nothing but kind to her. <laughs> and finally, Frankie being shot and killed, the final punishment. <laughs> Look at the acting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
Where was Maggie then? They just don't act like that anymore. <laughs> so yeah, that in a nutshell uh, is the classic life cycle of a lesbian character. Um, <laughs> that we have... On screen or in real life? <laughs> <laughs> well, that was my fear. Um, <laughs> So, of course, then there was The Freak, which, which uh, Catherine talked about, and uh, who still to this day, I think, is one of the most disturbing characters that we've ever seen on Australian television. And it was her portrayal, the portrayal of her sexuality as something uh, very sinister that made her even more repulsive. So you can imagine for someone who was entering their teenage years and beginning to question your sexuality, and Frankie Doyle and the Freak were your role models. Um, <laughs> it wasn't really that helpful. It's quite terrifying when I pondered that this was my future. <laughs> but then, lesbian representation has had a long history with all things sinister, and if we weren't being killed off, we were the undead. <laughs> uh, for some reason... For some reason, the coupling of vampirism and lesbianism is seen as the perfect fit. Um, <laughs> lesbian vampires are rife in, in film and television. And again, I'm, I'm bringing it back to, 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 to film, but I'll it ties in with television. Um, this 1936 film, Dracula's Daughter, with perhaps the greatest tagline ever, she gives you that weird feeling. <laughs> uh, now... And if you've ever seen the film, she does. That's not actually because she's a vampire. It's because she's obviously a, a raving lesbian. Um, now, I know this sort of contradicts what I was just saying about the uh, production code, but this film actually was terribly worrying for the censors, who actually demanded changes were made to it. And still to this day, it's amazing this film actually got through. And if you haven't seen it, I highly recommend it, especially for its metaphor of... Um, psychiatry, curing vampirism, read homosexuality. Um, of course, she dies in the end, as we all do. And, uh, and, uh, but still, um, you know, what, what we're seeing to this day is still lots of lesbian vampires on television. Enter True Blood and Pam, who's on the far left here. Now, I know there's plenty of questionable characters in True Blood, but Pam is known as the meanest. Uh, even Eric has a soft side, whereas Pam, as the lesbian vampire, uh, is not only pure evil, but she actually revels in that. Um, and here's just um, a, a clip of Pam. Bill, haven't seen you in a while. I'm mainstream. Good for you. Who's the doll? Pam, this is Silky. Silky, this is Pam. Pleased to meet you. Is Bill in some kind of trouble? That's for the boys to figure out right now. What you need to do is change out of your clothes. There's vampire in your cleavage. <laughs> okay, you. Allow me. Understand the fuss everyone's making over you. Tell me why you came here. I want some vampire blood. What time did you get off work? 
You came from my blood. Yeah, you're right. You're nothing like your sister. Go on in. I take it by your being here, there was no way around it then. I can't really say. Didn't exactly look into it. <laughs> Tell me, do you enjoy living halfway up his backside the way you do? Yes, it's nice. You should try it. I'm not going to set her. I'm going to set her free. You've already set her free. The same as Eric freed me. Everyone she's ever known will recoil from her. Everything she's ever loved has been stolen from her. Oh, please, there's no comparison. You've given that pathetic lump of temporary flesh... Jessica! ...the ultimate gift. You're a maker. You're a hero. I find myself doubting whether you were ever truly human. Thank you. <laughs> Jessica. <laughs> um... However, it must be said that uh, Pam has all of the greatest lines in True Blood and I think we need to indulge ourselves for a second and, and, and hear one of the best. And I think this clip also demonstrates my point about the fact that lesbian characters are always portrayed as being slightly unhinged. <laughs> Where the fuck is he? I don't know! Sookie called looking for him. Sookie, I'm so over Sookie and her precious fairy vagina and her unbelievably stupid name. Fuck Sookie. <laughs> so yeah, coming back to the question, have lesbian characters evolved? Well, I guess you can, you know, probably say that we certainly look better, but it's, I think we can still say that we're still obviously fairly nuts. Um, which brings me to Glee and um, Santana. So here she is with her girlfriend Brittany. And um, so Santana has, is in love with Brittany and always has been, uh, but didn't know how to handle that. So of course in typical lesbian fashion she just became a complete bitch. Um, she's the classic, angry, vengeful lesbian character. Uh, she also experienced some unrequited love, which seems to be uh, something the lesbian character must always go through as well. And I can't help but think that if Santana had have been in the car, that uh, the car accident when Quinn was driving to Rachel and Finn's wedding, that she probably wouldn't have made it. Uh, but they can't kill her off because, like Pam, she's actually one of the most popular characters on the show. So maybe this is some way of signifying some evolution for lesbian characters in the fact that they're still portrayed as angry, mean and vengeful, but for some reason we, we love them now. Um, and this might come down to the fact that they seem to have all of the best lines or now that, or now that they're actually so hot, but I guess it's just something for us, um, some little thing for us to hold on to. Um, anyway, Santana's popularity is, is so enormous and her bitchiness is, is, is widely celebrated. And um, here's a fan video of Santana which shows that. I'm 
everyone knows that my job here is to look hot. Nobody tells you anything because A, you're a blabbermouth, and B, we all just pretend to like you. I don't know if it's the missing mohawk or the whining, but I am totally not turned on by you right now. Can we please talk about the giant elephant in the room? Your sexuality. Get tired of tearing other people down. No, not really. <laughs> Let us give you an introduction into the way that we work. You buy us dinner, and we make out in front of you. It's like the best deal ever. You're breaking up with me. Why? Your credit score is terrible. Look, Weezy, I realize I'm trying to punch you a couple times, and sometimes when you're not looking, I put weird things on your food. There's no way I'm playing a transvestite in high heels and fishnets and wearing lipstick. Why? Because that look was last season? Can I just say that you were the hottest dentist I've ever seen? Yeah, I get that all the time. No, like seriously, you can totally drill me whenever. Santana! Okay, how do I stop a guy from getting mad at me for saying no? Just do what I do. Never say no. How can you do a duet by yourself? That's like vocal masturbation or something. I'm only here because Puck's been in the slammer for about 12 hours now, and I'm like a lizard. I need something warm beneath me or I can't digest my food. Don't play stupid, Tubbers. Oh, and for the record, asking someone to babysit with you is super 90s. Time to do what Santana does best. Revenge. Where's Fahey's down with Mono? But you shouldn't go in there, it's highly contagious. Please. I've had Mono so many times it turned into stereo. <laughs> yeah. Get around. <laughs> Bake sales are kind of bougie. I'm gonna die. It'll be worth it. I want bling. I can't be any more specific than that. Okay, wait, hold up. Please tell me that is a roll of certs in your pocket. So freaking charming. Where's Pac? I haven't seen him since yesterday, and I need him to get me a chair. You're so on my list, Dora. Uh, now, it would be remiss of me to um, talk about lesbian representation on television and not mention the L word, but I'm actually not going to talk about the L word, which I know could be construed as the fact that it doesn't actually support my theory. But, um, <laughs> uh, but can I just say in my defence that that show, the L word, uh, is all about lesbians, and so you couldn't actually have eight psychotic characters. So what they actually did was they made the bisexual character Jenny um, the psychotic character and gave her all of the classic traits <laughs> that would normally be assigned to the lesbian character. Um, I just want to finish off with some actual lesbian TV characters discussing lesbian stereotypes. Uh, Rick and Steve, the happiest gay couple in the world. <laughs> happiest couple in the world. Um, now, for those who don't know this show, it's uh, an animated series about a community of queers. Uh, and it seems, even in animation, lesbians can't escape being portrayed as mean and nasty. There's a character called Dana, and even the show's creators describe her as the angry bull dyke. Um, anyway, here's Dana and her girlfriend. Dana, are we stereotypes? Oh, Jesus, is this about my mullet? Because uh... just say the word and I'll get a flat top. Uh, no, Dana. You know I love your mullet. I mean it. Word. Flat top. Done. It's not just the hair, it's... Well, do you ever wonder if we're just perpetuating stereotypes? You're butch. I'm lipstick. We drive a truck. You built our house. We are not stereotypes. We are individual, powerful women who do not play into the subservient roles that the patriarchy has established. Dana, you're being a stereotype. <laughs> no, honey, I'm joking. Oh. <laughs> Lesbians aren't funny. There's another stereotype. We're environmentalists. 
We're 10 years behind on all the trends. Is this really bothering you? I don't want to be seen as just another lesbian. Am I homophobic? Kirsten, honey, you're special to me. What makes me special? Kittles, I love your poetry. The way you overanalyze things, the fact that you wear overalls to bed. Yeah, but any old lesbian can give you that. But you're the only old lesbian I want it from. I guess I like pink. That's not very lesbian. (laughs) All I think about is pink. You are a pervert. If I were a man, I would be such a sexist pig. Women would be my objects. Now that's not very stereotypical. You can objectify me all you want. I was just about to, in a strictly non-lesbian way. Oh, Dana. I hate cats. Yeah, that's true. Mm. (laughs) I don't like weed germs. I shave my armpits. I'm allergic to henna. I hate blood. I think Katie Lang is boring. (laughs) Katie rocks! Don't talk with your mouth full. That's it from me. (laughs) (laughs) Is she the daughter from Roseanne, the actress who voices that that character? Thank you. Uh, Sounds like her. I don't know. I don't don't think so. Lego lesbians. (laughs) Oh, I know. Totally. Oh, just I just love seeing those uh, images of Pam and. um, I know. I thought you know in, in those characters were actually quite interesting, and I I, I have noticed other lesbian, types of lesbian characters, like we were talking about the the L word, and um, to, to me the L word is what queerest folk was to mm. gay men. You know, it was one of those really rare opportunities where it was a show for the lesbian community, well, for the gay community as well. But um, I really, yeah, I really like that. Yeah, it's interesting in gay shows how lesbians are tra- treated, in lesbian shows how gay men are treated, mm. portrayed. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's cool. It's hey, you know, the Frankie thing, um, I couldn't remember who it was, but when Frankie was shot and killed, it was on the front page of the Herald Sun the next day. Oh, really? Yeah, that's how big it was. <laughs> yeah, it was huge. Yeah, massive. Wow. <laughs> oh, well, we better get on to you, Travis, because oh, yes, we're yes, running so. a little bit late. I'll get um, into which it. Which is not surprising. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, I'll, I'll try and be as um, I'll try and be as uh, quick as possible. I do have way too many notes, more notes than I need, and um, I also don't have any moving images, so I apologise in advance. But I hope that I can still be uh, uh, interesting for you. Um, basically, um, looking at this whole notion of you know. You know what, what queer identity means in the screen. I, I thought it was really important to kind of set up what we're looking at when we look at television. Now, practically in every home, television is still one of the most powerful mediums in the world. You probably think that you watch television to see its programs, but that's exactly what networks want you to think. But television is the same today as it was when it began, and it was all about securing the biggest possible viewing audience. Um, to view its commercials, its advertisers' commercials. That's what you're really there to see. The shows are dangling carrots, carefully crafted to manipulate your willing participation. Indeed, nothing on television isn't calculated and precisely considered. From the type of content of the show to its time slot, promotion and marketing, nothing happens by accident, everything is made and nothing on TV is real. It's in this light that we find ourselves all here today contemplating how queer representation may or may not have progressed on the small screen. 
There's a lot of speculation about increased queer visibility these days across the board, but especially on TV. If this is indeed the case, then I'm curious about the reason why a community, a community that has such a difficult and precarious relationship with the mainstream would get any airtime. And how does it manage to work that in? What does all of this actually mean for the gay community? You know, for the, and when I say gay, I mean gay, lesbian, bisexual, transgender, intersex and queer. There's so much more than just what seems to be portrayed. Um, I'd like to actually start, off, start by looking at where we are in the, right now. And I think there's this huge move away from traditional TV mediums and looking at online media. So I thought we'd start with the Get Up campaign. You see the slide behind me there. Um, Get Up is a web-based community action group. It uses the web and social networking to mobilise and organise actions to support issues important to Australians. Last November, it took on the issue of marriage equality, creating an online advertisement to garner support and understanding on the issue. The advert went viral, scoring millions of hits in the space of just a few days. To network executives and producers everywhere, it was a clear indicator of market viability and audience share that was available and waiting to be had. So it's not surprising then, following this sort of uh, kind of, you know, what people seeing what was available, they suddenly thought, okay, we can cash in on this. And it seems to be a trend that's happened right from the beginning, right from the sort of birth of, of gay and lesbian representation, queer representation on Australian television screens. Something happened to indicate viability that we can suddenly now tell these stories, we can suddenly now kind of get away with telling these stories and um, not only is it going to be um, tantalising, but it's going to guarantee to get some sort of audience share so that we can get people bums on seats to see our advertisers' commercials. Um, queer representation is in, in safe and limited forms has nearly always equaled ratings bonanza for networks from the very first moment that gay storylines appeared on Australian screens. Inspired by a decade of undeniable social and cultural change taking place overseas, gay storylines in the late 70s were controversial, attention-grabbing, dangerous and titillating. And there was a proven market for that. Gay headlines were consumed by Australian public as much as they were criticised and condemned. The only thing that was more attention-grabbing than sex was gay sex. Number 96 and Prisoners were the hit Australian dramas that first risked depicting gay and lesbian identity. These shows were brave and daring in content to begin with, and they were able to get away with this because their characters were largely outsiders, fringe dwellers, free of the structures of normal society. The writers hid, just, hid as much as they could within subtext, and sexuality and same-sex desire that was exposed were swiftly punished with exile or death to restore the status quo. And it's returning back to what Rachel was talking about, and the way that gays are often, um, particularly in those early days, you know, we could see these more extreme displays of sex and sexuality as long as they were punished, and they always were. Producers and networks realised that they could capitalise on ratings and publicity benefits of gay representation as long as they carefully edited that representation to make, uh, to, to make uh, it comfortable for audiences. Promoting homosexuality or even depicting it without negative connotations at, at that time was impossible. Okay, so uh, hopefully I can... Um, so these are some of the more recent kind of uh, things that we've seen. And I, I think, you know, things like Get Up, there was a sense of this movement happening, you know, and once people sort of saw that there was a survival market, they jumped on it very quickly. Um, again, with Get Up, uh, that happened last year, and um, just a month ago, uh, in Gordon Street Tonight, which is a variety show on ABC, 
uh, had a mass same-sex TV wedding. So you can see that things actually do have this on-flow effect. Again, a number 96 in Prisoner. Now, um, fast forward to 1994 and another groundbreaking gay TV moment for Australia. Another ratings winner that set the tone for gay representation that decade. The ABC, generally lagging behind in ratings, realised the potential in a captivating and colourful community rights movement that had been gaining momentum for the best part of the decade. It decided to televise the Sydney Gay and Lesbian Mardi Gras for the first time. Now that scored the station its highest ratings at the time. It was also a historic move, being one of the first times in such an event had ever been televised in the world. It was an incredibly bittersweet moment for the gay community, which finally began to, to be seen for the first time in Australian, Australian lounge rooms nationally as a proud community celebrating its sex and sexuality. And that was a really big moment, considering that every, every time before that, queers were seen as being punished. Uh, this was an, um, on the other hand, too, the potent sensationalist images that Mardi Gras coverage uh, brought, uh, like drag queens, campery, exposed breasts and buttocks, would now forever be... Uh, associated with the gay community and it's something that even today they find hard to shake and um, it's a sort of an image we find hard to get rid of. Uh, the ABC proved that a substantial audience existed for gay representation. TV moments suddenly featuring gay characters suddenly started appearing on commercial networks at that time and when they did they became these really hyped up events. Now I don't know if you remember um, Ellen DeGeneres' show when that was on TV or that famous kiss in Roseanne, but those became massive television moments. You know, lots of ads advertising it, and this was a moment that everyone had to tune in to see. Unfortunately, around this time, too, um, HIV was decimating the queer community. HIV and AIDS became the new framework through which same-sex desire could be punished, all the while giving producers a new way to look, at, uh, to look good while raising awareness on an important issue. AIDS was a new moral reminder and warning issue to those who dared to be gay. Rather than overt discrimination by society against queer people, AIDS became the easy, seemingly indiscriminate way to eliminate a character. It would become the, a powerful new cliché in the telling of gay stories. Um, then we start coming over to the 90s, and there's a massive change in the depiction of gay people. I won't actually go into my notes here, but what we start to see is shows like Queer as um, Folk coming in and um, Queer Eye for the Straight Guy, a reality TV show. This has moved towards reality TV. And um, what's interesting about this is that the, the story again, um, the narrative being told about gay people changes again quite radically. And we're being told, um, you know, gays go from, you know... Um, this horrible degenerate that needs to be punished to this really vibrant spectacle or AIDS victim and it suddenly becomes the helpful worker bee, the fabulous person that helps make your life better. They support the heterosexual community and everything that's heterosexual and heteronormative. Um, so we start, start to see this happening. So that's one way that gay representation goes, but it also goes in a very exciting other direction and that is through shows like Queer as Folk which to me I think was probably one of the most groundbreaking moments in TV in general because this was a show about us. This is the first time we watched TV and went, oh, that's us, that's how we club. And sure, it was kind of a bit sex, drugs and rock and roll, but we'd never seen ourselves like that before and interacting with other gay people and lesbians and not being punished or dying of AIDS. It was quite, quite, quite radical. Um, also, I'd like to you know, highlight that the L word is, in a, again, very similar. Two very different kind of things. Now, this was happening around that time. But meanwhile, in Australia, nothing was really going on. 
we sort of tried to kind of put in gay drama there. We sort of did that through a show called The Secret Life of Us, which was relatively popular, featured a gay character for three seasons. Um, but, you know, a lot of the content um, at that time that featured gay characters came from overseas. Now, it's, I, I think it's probably important to note that um, this is sort of around the mid-2000s and stuff. There was this massive explosion of gay, and we talk about gay being the new black. I think, to me, it's around this time that we... I think it's this massive bonanza of, of gay images and content. It's everywhere, from reality TV shows like Big Brother um, to, um, you know, the kind of shows that I just mentioned. Shows like Beauty and the Beast and Carlotta, uh, you know, featured Carlotta and Big Brother obviously had, a, 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 you know, a token gay contestant in, in, every, um, in every show. And we start to see, again, another change in the story, and that is we're being actively marketed towards, you know, the, the um, PR departments are suddenly realising, hey, if we put a gay person on here, we've got the gay demographic. If we put a black person on here, we've got that. And we start to see this kind of united colours of Benetton-type advertising thing going on, you know, where everyone's included so that they can get maximum market share. Not, this is not to be confused with a genuine interest in representation. Um, Okay, so in my opinion, this was the peak of queer representation in Australia. Queer was everywhere. Queer was the new black. Not only were we represented in all the moral and damaging ways of the past, but also new ways that promoted us as helpful and political and boldly sexual living our own lives. Now, it's around this time, too, we start to get this kind of... Um, it's a strange time for the queer community in Australia because we suddenly find ourselves being treated like a market, actively advertised to, but unfortunately little understood. And I'd like to... Um, Maybe highlight some shows here. Um, okay, uh, I'll come back to that in a second. So we talk about. Uh, okay, okay, here's where we're up to. I don't know if any of you remember, but there was a show called Something About Miriam. Yeah. <laughs> Featured a straight male contestants trying to figure out Miriam's secret. Of course, as tacky as it was, it was the fact that she was actually transsexual. Uh, Miriam was brought over to Australia where she featured in the Big Brother house where producers thought it would be funny to play that game again. Then there was, of course, the Aussie show, Playing It Straight, another terribly insulting show that <laughs> made it to Aussie screens where a straight woman had to correctly sort out the men from the gays in order to win cash. Charming. You know, I remember actually getting press releases and uh, being contacted by the um, producers of this show and they were so excited. They genuinely thought they'd got something fabulous and that you know, the gay community would be so happy because we were challenging stereotypes <laughs> of what it was to be gay. You know, like, you know, like, oh, they're not all Nancys, you know. We can show that it can be butch. I was so flabbergasted, I actually had nothing to say. Um, now, um, the irony, of course, of such vile shows were given a free pass, right? But the media was quick to remind us that only certain queer stories were acceptable. So when a lesbian family innocently shown as part of a play school family theme segment, uh, you know, was shown on, uh, on this segment, um, all hell broke loose as politicians, conservatives, TV watchdogs and religious nuts all publicly condemned the ABC for daring to show a happy same-sex couple doing the iconic TV show, Jordan's show, um, saying that it could be damaging. And here we were thinking that we'd progressed so far as a society and with queers in our society. Um, it was around this time, again, we see another change. This is sort of the mid to late 2000s. Uh, we see the rise of the reality talent franchises. Australian Idol, X Factor and Australia's Got Talent. Australian da drag star and uh, gender illusionist 
Courtney Act created what I think is a genuine international idol history by becoming the first and only drag queen to make the top 12 on the show. It was a remarkable moment, a genuine bold, a genuine bold decision that paid off with mammoth ratings. And by this point, producers and network marketing gurus had the formula down packed. They knew exactly how they were going to market to us. Now, these days, what we're starting to see is, you know, this representation now of, you know, oh, we're so talented and we've got this great, you know, people will come out on a show in these surprise moments, you know, where they'll sort of, you know, display their talent and then sort of say, hey, you know, I'm gay or I'm actually a trans man or whatever the the case happens to be. You know, um, you'd be easily forgiven for forgetting that these moments are really highly scripted. You know, they're produced by somebody um, and, and positioned perfectly to target your heartstrings. Uh, and you can't miss out on any of these things either because these days, right, uh, you have publicists who let you know whenever something gay is happening. I mean, I know certainly as, as the editor of uh, Same Same, the moment something's happening that's gay, well, I mean, if there's an opportunity for you know, editorial coverage, they'll let you know. So there's this question of, you know, um, that I'll come back to, of when we're talking about is there more queer visibility now than before, I say, well, maybe not more queer visibility, but certainly a shitload more marketing. Um, uh, so it's free to air TV. Quick flick over to um, cable TV and you'll see there's, there's also a bit of a bonanza there as well. Uh, RuPaul's Drag Race, uh, quite a gay, queer event, um, a, a drag competition hosted by the world's most famous drag queen. And of course there's shows like Project Runway and How to Look Good Naked that feature um, a queer, uh, openly queer people as well. Now, coming to now, we are talking about shows that we are all probably very familiar with. They're very much in the public consciousness, and that is Glee and Modern Family. Australia still features overseas hit shows that are proving to be rating winners like Glee and Modern Family, which feature lead gay characters. Um, closer to home, variety shows like Talking About My Generation, 7pm Project, and Gordon Street Tonight feature gay and lesbian comedians and personalities. Not that you'd really know that they were gay. Modern Family finally shows Australia that queers can, be, uh, can have a family and long-term relationships and that audiences are open to accepting polite gays who reinforce the heteronormative. And then, um, with a delightful selection of deliberately diverse characters, hit show Glee functions as an unashamedly inoffensive minority education hour, flirting occasionally with tricky gay topics like coming out and falling in love, uh, remembering to break into that latest pop song when things get too controversial. So now, I would like to come back just very quickly to finish off uh, with this question of, is there more queer programming on Australian TV uh, than there was 10 years ago? Is there more queer visibility than ever before? It's a really tough question to answer because you first have to define what constitutes queer visibility, what constitutes you know, uh, queer programming. You know, does it just mean that it features someone gay on the show? Does it mean that it features a, you know, gay lead characters? And the way you answer that is really going <coughs> to affect the uh, outcome of that question. But the way I see it, Australia is still waiting for its first, first full-time gay TV channel, something that um, the rest, you know, uh, Europe and America have enjoyed for at least the past decade. We're still waiting for our you know, lead uh, show hosts like Graham Norton, Alan Carr or Lily Savage. We're waiting for homegrown representation that overseas audiences have enjoyed for the, the best part of the past decade. And is it just me or are the queers who appear on TV still rather castrated sexually, culturally and socially? They're not outspoken, political or problematic. And more often than not, they're the kinds of people that we can still laugh at. 
the queer community con continues to have little or no say in the programming we experience on TV. Because if we did, the marriage debate would have been on uh, the table years ago. Queers would have access to health information programming specific to the queer community, and most people would know the difference between a transsexual and a transvestite, or at least have some idea of what the terms intersex or GLBTI mean. We may inspire the content, but we by no means have any say in its, the direction of its delivery. Um, to finish off, I just want to say um, I don't want to leave you on a totally sad note. It's not all dire news, um, because um, there is, uh, earlier this year, featured a, a, true, um, a true groundbreaking moment of, for queer representation in Australian TV, and it comes in the form of a uh, scripted comedy show that has been some time in the making. It's a show about the formation of a gay sci-fi group. It's called Outland. What makes this so groundbreaking is the fact that it's the first show on Australian TV created by gay people, written by gay people, starring gay people, about gay people, for gay people. It's screened earlier this year uh, on the ABC, uh, a station that has had a long success, uh, and successful record of making TV history and positive, positively representing the gay community. What an achievement to finally have a show made by us, for us, on a major, major public network. Things may be looking up after all. You have been listening to an ACME podcast. For more recordings of talks and live events, go to ACME channel and the ACME website.